Welcome to Westside Podcast. Each week, we'll take a relevant topic under the microscope to see what the Bible has to say about it. You will gain tools and information you need to support your faith walk and build Christ-centered families in Kansas City and beyond. I'm your host, Troy Kennedy. Hey, everybody. It's great to be back for another season of the West Side Podcast. I'm Troy, and this is my friend Randy Frazee. Hello, everybody. Man, the myth, the legend. And we are here for our third little series of uh, mm. podcasts. And I got to tell you, it's really been a lot of fun. It has for been me. a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we geek out, you know, and we have a couple people that listen to it. <laughs> Theology nerddom and our tens of listeners are overjoyed <laughs> every week to hear what we're, what we're talking about. No, it's actually been quite a lot more people than yeah, just tens of listeners. And we're really just so encouraged that we can bring a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of uh, maybe clarity and some direction mm-hmm. to some of your thinking. And at the end of the day, we want to bless you and give you tools to navigate real life mm-hmm. as a Christ follower here. And so this season, we've got a few different uh, topics we're going to cover, or just some questions that were sent in by our tens of listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so things like, um, how do I follow Jesus' example if He is God and I'm just a human, mm-hmm. right? How about if there really is a God, then why? Why does he let all these bad things happen in the world? A lot of people, COVID has brought up a lot of those kinds of questions here. Um, Mm -hmm. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Uh, How do we understand the Trinity? Does God control the future or do we have a choice? And Mm -hmm. so some really important questions that um, honestly people have been wrestling with for millennia. And uh, we're going to fix it for you. But Randy is going to land the plane (laughs) in this this millennium here. Calvinism, Arminianism, you know, (laughs) this problem of suffering. Docetism, open theology. Whatever other heresy you want to bring into the the realm, we're going to give you clarity on what's going on. And so today, uh, we've got a really wonderful topic, and actually, it's just so appropriate. Um, Here's the question of the day. What would Jesus do? How do I follow Jesus' example if He is God and I am just a human? This is an age-old question, and oddly enough... Brother Randy just came out with a new book called His Mighty Strength, right? Yes, I did. Talking about this very idea is how do we... It's called Christology. How do we understand the nature of Jesus being fully God and fully human? And that has been wrestled with for a couple millennia. The first three centuries were the key, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. and then at the Council uh, 451, I think it was, Mm -hmm. they finally landed... The Chalcedon Council landed a, a statement after... People had uh, been determined uh, heretics, and some of them, you know, they're really they were really crude to heretics back then. Right, and uh, and so just wrestling over this oddity of this fully God, fully man, and one person, uh, they just wrestled with it. And you know, mm. they didn't have the uh, Council of Chalcedon right. to help them like we do today, wrestling through it. So the first three centuries, this was an open, debated topic. And uh, But then since that time, you know, for the most part, there's been this one classical sort of view on it, and, and I've, I've, I embrace that, that view. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you know, I came across some readings and uh, got into church history again, and and uh, ancient writers, and and uh, had some fresh thoughts on it that became this book. And so we get into it. You you maybe tee it up a little yeah. bit more to what what the debate is, mm-hmm. and then how it is that I uh, we'll get some definition of terms right. with uh, the um, it, with this Christological debate, and then I'll kind of share how I shifted mm-hmm. to the lesser right uh, view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll give you the backstory on it. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I mean, this is really pertinent because people think, you know, you used to wear the bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we look to Jesus as a model for the way we are to respond and the way we are to live. But the the question mark for many people is, well, if he, if he was fully God and fully man, well, he has resources to pull from that none of us have. So is it really fair for us to yeah. like say we're going to follow in Jesus' footsteps when we, clearly we don't have the same um, power to pull from in the way we're thinking of it like that? And that's where Jesus agrees with you in that line of thinking, Philippians 2, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a hymn, it's actual hymn yeah. uh, of the church, said... Uh, Though being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something Mm -hmm. to be used to his own advantage. And so he did something. And uh, so he would agree with you. And, you know, when he's being tempted in the wilderness is the big topic and things like that. It's like, well, yeah. Or when he's in the boat with the storm, he tells the disciples not to be afraid. It's like, yeah, easy for you to say, God. (laughs) Yeah, right. right. And then he goes and calms the storm. So, Mm -hmm. but yet it says that he identified with us in every point of our weakness. And so there's just a lot of 
stuff going on that doesn't add up. Right. And it makes a big difference if we're saying we need to pattern our life after the life of Jesus, right. and yet we are at such a disadvantage given our sin nature, uh, and our and not even our sin nature, just our humanness and the limitations of humanity without sin. Even if it was without sin, there's still limitations to humanity. Right. And so that's the debate, and that it helps us to look at this question, and I think for me, at the end of the day, I don't ask people to agree with me, uh, but I think if you hear the whole story, you're going to fall in love with Jesus uh, even a little bit more because uh, I think he went to a further extent to show us the way. Right. Boy, and there has been a lot of different um, takes on this, and the reason he, uh, Randy mentions the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451, um, that this doctrinal belief had to get formalized because there was a lot of wacky thinking yeah. about the nature of Jesus. So uh, there was a b- variety of different heresies that were going around. One was that Jesus was the first and greatest creation of God, mm-hmm. and this is this is called Arianism, right? And mm-hmm. it's actually espoused by the Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. here today. Um, the it also contrasts strongly with that of Muslims, right? And other groups who believe that Jesus was simply a prophet. Yep, he was yep. he was like any other prophet, yep. just like mm-hmm. Muhammad mm-hmm. was a prophet. He wasn't yep. anything divine about him. Yep. Uh, but he was just another another good guy who had a lot of good things to say. Um, the New Age view will sees that Jesus is merely uh, as a man who fully actualized his inner divinity. Yeah. Right, like, uh, and that was really in vogue. Not that, just not that long ago yeah. in the '80s, we yeah. had a lot of these books that came out, and Jesus was just more fully actualized yeah. human. Yeah, he was on the spiritual growth track, yeah. uh, the fast track for <laughs> right. spiritual growth. Yeah, right, and and uh, and also there are views of liberal scholars today in things like the Jesus Seminar, yeah. who try to argue that the historical Jesus, right, the Jesus behind the mythologized New Testament documents was merely a cynic philosopher or a religious and social revolutionary. So he mm-hmm. was he was just a guy that was running around, had a lot of good things to say, and eventually this legend was birthed around yep. that history. And so the Bible, anyway, you know, just is another book of myths and fables and legends, and we could get into that some one of these days we can talk about the historicity of the New Testament. But however, the, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was fully God as well as fully human, and that's where they landed at the Council of they Chalcedon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus Christ as God incarnate, one unified person, the eternal Son of God, equal with the Father of two mm-hmm. distinct but never separate natures, human and divine. And, uh, you know, that is, you know, that's that's called orthodoxy. That's right. called bedrock. Man, there's a lot of blood spilled over mm-hmm. a, a, a statement like this, which I you know and you both hold wholeheartedly mm-hmm. today. There's also docetism, you know, which denies Jesus's humanity. Right. So, you know, right. a lot of them, you know, will elevate his humanity, yeah. you know, like... Uh, uh, Arianism and 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 uh, like you say the um, uh, Islam, uh, but you know to 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 deny his humanity, which is really hard to do when he's like walking around in a body and stuff like that. But uh, Docetism gave it a shot, you know, right. and uh, said that uh, it was kind of. I think that's the one um, that is uh, uh, they called it God in a bod, mm-hmm. uh, God in a bod, meaning that. Uh, the, 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 the human the, the body that Jesus was in was absent of a soul and a spirit and and oh, so that's what wow. that's what docetism was pr- proposing is that Jesus's body was not like yours and eyes it didn't have a soul and a spirit you know looking at that kind of uh, that framework but it was just a uh, it was a it was a shell Animated, and that and yeah. that only there was only one nature in Jesus and it was the divine nature the the he wasn't interacting with uh, the um, with, with, with the nature of man it didn't oh, wow. exist it was just it was just a carcass and so but you know you're trying to figure this out in the first three centuries and you're like right. what is this all about because you read the gospels and there's this one thing where like man he's pretty powerful and this other thing like wow he's not that powerful and uh this is not you know like he's praying for god's will to be done not my will but your will well obviously there's two wills there and yet in other places it's just man he is he is he is he is god riding in on a white horse and so there's a you know they they were trying to figure it out i'm not sure that they meant to be heretics i don't think their attitude was (laughs) meant to be heretics they couldn't google what paul had to say yeah that's exactly right. right Yeah, well, there's basically two fundamental views amongst uh, evangelicals. There's what's mm-hmm. called the classical view, yeah. and there's the canonic view, or the canonic Christology. So in the classical view, it goes kind of like this. Many defend the more traditional view that Jesus exercised both his divine and human attributes 
at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, it maintains that Jesus could be omniscient as God and non-omniscient as human at the same time. Yeah. Not sure how you do that math, but, it, uh, but well, you know, but that's what you and I accepted, you know, for right. years, and, and and it just it doesn't make sense. So what we say it's is a mystery. It, it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that pot pie my white mom used to always make. It's a mystery <laughs> it's a what's mystery. in there, <laughs> but it sure tastes good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then canonic Christology says, however, uh, some people hold that this, this these people maintain that God had to empty Himself, right? And the word in Greek is. Kenosis, Kenosis, right? Mm-hmm. Empty uh, to become a full human being. So they argue that the second person of the Trinity laid aside his omniscience or his divine privilege mm-hmm. in order to become fully human, for a person cannot be fully human and omniscient at the same time. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. It does make sense, but it also like leaves little people kind of squeamish in some ways about like, well, then was Jesus God? Was he not God? What do you do with his divinity? If he doesn't have these divine attributes, does that mean he's still God or not? Yeah. Right? So then that's where you get a lot of arguments. So what we want to do, and just, you know, Randy's kind of telegraphing, kind of he landed in a very specific place, but we want to give you a little bit of a journey through yeah. some of these views so you get a sense of where the conflict is. Yep. And then ultimately, um, where, and I would say I landed in the same place where I kind of found peace mm-hmm. in my uh, understanding who Jesus is. So the classical view, right? One, there's one, it's called the rendering of the two natures of Christ coherent. In other words, he could be fully human and not merely human. Right. Right. Big so difference. merely human means you're just human. Yeah. Fully human means you have all the attributes of being human, but you also have these other attributes of being God. And that's how that kind of gets juxtaposed. They call it the two minds of Christ. So um, if Jesus was merely human, of course, he could have only a limited human consciousness. But since Jesus was not merely human, his limited consciousness didn't restrict uh, his ability to possess an unlimited divine consciousness. So he's got this limited consciousness and at the same time this divine consciousness. And they call that kind of the two minds theory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are comfortable with that. Yeah. And they say it's a mystery, mm-hmm. right? And other folks don't. So they say the divi- divine mind always had access to the contents of the human mind, but not vice versa. Yeah. Right? The human mind doesn't always have access to the divine mind in Jesus. So that is one way people have wrestled with this. Yeah, yeah. I and think it's pretty creative. Yeah, it is, it is creative. Yeah. Um, at it's the good. same time, we might affirm then that Jesus uh, was in a sense, he had a different sense of omniscience, right? Um, or he was omniscient. And, and then the glory of Jesus, they would say, people who hold this view, they explain the biblical data in a non-contradictory way. In other words, it does full justice to the divinity of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Because he is fully God all the time, and they, and that is the point that people get the most squeamish. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to lose that right. by giving t- maybe too much weight to his human side. Right. Right? And you should work really hard to protect that, because if Jesus isn't God, then his death on the cross is... Uh, you know, was a was a was was uh, was a wonderful act, but not very efficacious. You know, not very wow. powerful, right? Right, right? He needs to be God, yeah, or at least without sin. Right. And um, so, I think it's really good that you do that. But yeah. he's also human. So, uh, so how do you deal with this idea of two minds without thinking of him as two persons? Is that possible? I mean, what it, it uh, you know, I've I've heard it before, and obviously, you know, again, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, I I. It didn't make much sense to me. Uh, it felt a little bit like Sybil, you know, uh, like almost <laughs> a little bit of multiple multi- personalities. personalities, you know, like, yeah. you know, who am I talking to right now? Right. And and so um, it is a u- u- unique idea, um, but it seems very complicated to mm-hmm. me that it, there's this back and forth kind of thing. You know, hats off to them for creativity, but, um, and I think some people that, you know, that would like to have their time with the mic saying, no, it's a brilliant idea. Uh, right. But I, I I I struggle with it now. There is another uh, uh, heresy called monophysitism, monophysitism, mm-hmm. which is basically that he was not a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man, oh. but he was a hybrid. He was a little less percentage, and so and so you know even take something like this, which is considered an, a super orthodox. Uh, uh, understanding mm-hmm. of you know of, of of the nature of Jesus, and you if you're not careful, you'll slip away into another form of heresy where you right. take a you know he's a hundred you, you take a he's little a little bit, less God, a little, a little less, less God less man, and then yeah. the two come together to make you know uh, you know a hybrid right. model, 
And either way, we know that Jesus uh, was a, 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 a solo model of this level right. of humanity right. and, uh, and, and divinity coming together. There's not, we, we can't study it empirically for all the hundred other people that were in this situation. Right. You know, we got Jesus and Jesus alone who takes on this unique spot. Well, and there was uh, another heresy called Nestorianism, yeah. mm-hmm. which um, it says that there was two persons in one body. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another odd thing to yeah, mm-hmm. to, to navigate. Um, uh, one, uh, so that those are an objection. Is like, how can these two minds be uh, one person? But what yeah. what are the other objections that you see to that kind of? Well, yeah, let's, Nestorianism. You know, they it, they're they're it, it's hard. Two persons are working in harmony. They attribute it to be like a, an analogy, with like a marriage, like you mm-hmm. and Gwen. Are two different persons, and there's mm-hmm. a oneness to you. Right. The the, obje- the objective is just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make na- any much sense to me uh, in that he he wasn't two persons, mm-hmm. you know that you could visibly see. He was just this one Jesus person, right. uh, historical Jesus. And um, I just it just and I, I understand why. Um, um, it, it just the, the idea of two, now you're you're not talking about the objections to Nestorianism. You're talking about the objections to this particular point right. of view. Um, just the idea that um, you know, like, how does the New Testament attribute power to Jesus? How do we deal with his temptation if he's two different persons or two different personalities or two different minds? Which part was tempted? Which part wasn't? I mean, I. I don't know how to do that. Enough. I just don't read. I just don't read the Gospels or the New mm-hmm. Testament for that matter, and that doesn't become to me. An, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, it doesn't flow naturally out of the narrative. Right. Like so, when Jesus, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, John chapter four. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we got, you know, Jesus A. Right. You know, and then and then when he comes out and turns the water into the wine, we got Jesus B. Right, and uh, right. it just doesn't. Uh, you, you don't even right. get any sense that he's going back and forth that way in yeah. the New Testament. So you have to, you, you and, and even the canonic view, you have to begin to um, speculate. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not. It's, if it was overt, then we wouldn't have any debate right. about this. But it's right. not overt. But when you put the narrative together, it just doesn't seem that that's what was happening right. in the life of Jesus. Well, I got to tell you, you know, I, this has been so good for me to reading your book and having hearing you the messages and talking about this because I never really gave it much thought. Yeah. And I sincerely kind of had it in my mind that Jesus was resurrected under His own power because of His deity, and. It only back. I was just. It was an assumption I had made. Yeah. But then, when looking at the material through your book, it's over and over and over again. You see Jesus attributing the miracles and the resurrections and all these other things to God the Father or the Holy Spirit yeah. over and over and over again. And I just had never seen it like that. Yeah. Before. Me neither, man. Until just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Which is what leads us into maybe a little bit of the canonic view. Yeah. I guess you want to, and I can yeah. tell you where uh, you want to. You want to tee up wh- uh, what it is, and I'll tell you how I got yeah. there a little bit? Yeah, so I mean, the canonic view, um, it, it says this, that the unity of Jesus' person hinges on the unity of his mind, will, and attributes. It allows believers to affirm that the infinite God becomes a finite human without contradicting themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of Jesus empties himself of the omnis, the omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Yeah. Um, Jesus couldn't be omnipresent, obviously, because he was physically in one place all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. When you read the Gospels, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was limited in yeah. that way. Yeah. He, Jesus uh, wasn't um, um, omniscient because we, we find places where like he's a child and he's growing in wisdom and stature. Yeah. If you're omniscient, there's no growth. There's no growth. There's no education. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, if you if you embrace that that then you're you're going to really embrace uh, subordinationism or Arianism, which yeah. is Jesus is is a, is a is a divinity of some sort, but less than the Father, and therefore he's not the one true God. He's like a demagogue of some sort at at, at the most, and right. and a and a fraud at the at the least. And so, uh, yeah, you got you got a real challenge there. So, and then you have this idea. Um, oh, and also you've got you know which we talk about. You've got places where you know they they, they said when's the kingdom coming, right. and, yeah. and and he says I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Only the Father knows. Well, he, there can't be that distinction right. unless there's some other explanation uh, to it. And then you've got... Um, Jesus in the garden? Jesus in the garden. Right. He clearly is identifying that he's got a, 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 the human will, right. but he wants God's will to be done. And you've got to try to figure out how to yeah. reconcile 
all of that. Why the anxiety, right? Yeah. Uh, and and the thing, the thing I, and I hadn't even seen it before. I don't, I've been a pastor a long time. I don't know why, but he goes back three times. Yes, three times he goes back and asks if this cup can be passed. Now, if yeah. you're omniscient, you know it's not getting passed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. why why are you going to go back and keep asking if the anxiety isn't real? It's like uh, if Jesus faces temptation of Satan in the wilderness, right? That was a real temptation. Right. Right. It wasn't his God, uh, his divinity interceding for him. It was him humanly facing actual temptation. And he's at the very beginning of his ministry. Yeah. And so you know, when I've read that in the past, I go like, okay, I'm going to read the temptation. It really didn't do that much for me because mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, you know, if I were with the how the narrative should have run, mm-hmm. in my estimation, uh, <laughs> it should have been like, Satan, are we really right. going to do this? Right. You know who I am. You know I can kick the stuffing out of you. You know right. how this all we're turns out. We're just going out. through the motions Oh, here. we're just doing yeah. all this because we're going to have people that I love read this later, and they're thinking I'm identifying with their temptation. But, you know, really, truthfully, I'm not really identifying with your tem- the tem- their right. temptation. And the reality is, how did he respond to Satan? Mm-hmm. You know, he responded by doing what he's encouraging us to do, and that is he quoted Scripture. Right. He quoted, he went back to the will of God, which is contained in the Word of God, right. and he's He's, he's doing exactly how we need right. to work our way through spiritual uh, the spiritual enemy and temptation. Well, when we talked about spiritual warfare, I mean, that was like the whole point of that. That message was de- a declaration of the truth is what chases out the darkness. That's right. Right? The enemy can't stand in the way of the truth. So Jesus utilizes that very same thing, right? The face of Satan himself yeah. declaring this is the truth. And... Your lies don't have any place here. I was reading uh, this last Sunday about a passage, and I, I still really didn't pay much attention to it. Where he says, I've come to do the will of the Father. I only say what the Father has taught me, uh-huh. you know? And so you look at the word, and it's actually, you know, because sometimes, you know, the, the English and the Greek, the translators didn't do a good job with it. But no, mm-hmm. he's like saying, I was learning from the Father. Again, God right. can't do that. So it's beginning to add up. And I think as you got into mm-hmm. it, you started to see that when you read the narratives and just let it read, you're like, it starts to... You run into a couple trouble spots, but you, as you read it, it becomes more, aha, I think this is right. what's actually happening here. Well, and then the keystone verse is you know, kind of the title of your book. And his, you know, the, the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit lives in you and lives in me. And so attributing the resurrection itself to the Holy Spirit, yep. right? So Jesus obviously has relationship with the Father and with the Spirit, yep. but he is, he is set aside the power... Yeah. of his divinity for a season. For a season. And we got to talk about you know some of the objections in a little bit here, mm-hmm. but let me say to you what really is exciting about this for me is that, one, I, I just felt like I wanted to, I, and I'll, you know, I'll take a bullet for the divinity of Jesus because my salvation is worthless if he's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has, you know, but, but at the same time, um, uh, you know, I just kind of like, Never, never really taught about it with much passion because right. I didn't really didn't add up to me. You know, I couldn't teach about the temptation because there's always a sense of right. like, yeah, this unfair yeah. advantage. Yeah, he's not afraid in the boat. Yeah, <laughs> why not? You know, but um, but what I what I came to see, which is a topic we'll have later about the Trinity, mm-hmm. is the the Trinity uh, is working together from the very beginning in the uh, birth of Jesus mm-hmm. in the. Uh, in the baptism of Jesus, mm-hmm. and you've got that at the at the cross right. and in the resurrection, the the, the and, and it's just really starting to strengthen the idea of the Trinity. And I know later we'll talk about Colossians, where it seems like you know how to you know how could there be this intermittent time when right. he's not controlling things? And and mm-hmm. I read the notes and you nailed it, man. <laughs> so we'll talk about that in a moment. Right. So yeah. Well, so th- there have been a couple of uh, different kinds of kenosis yeah. understand in history. There's what are the two brands of kenosis? Yeah, the two again? brands of, uh, you know, and it's really fun because I was in Hong Kong when we were working uh-huh. on the one campaign, and uh, just, uh, I think it's a God thing. I was sitting at a table, it was one of the celebrations when they were finishing with the people that were leading, and, and a really cool um, leader in the Hong Kong Christian community was there. And then on the other side was this uh, professor at the uh, uni- uh, uh, University of Hong Kong Baptist mm-hmm. University, a guy named Andrew Loki, Dr. Loki. And, uh, and, uh, uh, I, he said, uh, hey, I know you've written all these books. Uh, what are you working on now? And I was working on His Mighty Strength. And he says, what it's about. I, and, you know, and I don't know a lot of people that are fluent in 
Kanadic Christology. Right. So I said, well, it's, uh, you know, Kanadic Christology. He goes, oh, man, I've written all my dissertations on that. I'm <laughs> wow. like, really? And so you can look up Andrew Loki. And so he uh -huh. sent them to me. They're published works right. and are, you know, professor, you know, and right. I got to dive in uh, to, you know, this whole thing about, and, and he's the one who said, he said to me before I knew the categories myself, right. he said, are, are you uh, ontological kenosis or functional kenosis? Uh -huh. And I thought, well, if I'm writing a book on it, I don't want to appear as though I don't even know what you're <laughs> talking about. <laughs> but I just know what ontos means being. Uh -huh. So did, it, it, did he empty himself of his being right. or is it functional? No, his being didn't change. He's just functionally not giving him access. So right. I said, definitely functional kenosis. And he says, ding, ding, right. Because ontological right. kenosis is, is, uh, is flirting with heresy. Right. Yeah, because right. in other words, we're not saying he changed his being permanently. Mm -hmm. We're just saying that he functionally decided to right. leave behind. So I came up with an analogy of, of a wallet, you uh -huh. know, and, uh, and and it's my best analogy. Uh, and uh, Andrew wasn't 100% excited about that analogy, <laughs> uh, but it really still, to my in, right. in my estimation, uh, it does the best job mm -hmm. of when I went out to dinner uh, one time with some friends of ours, and uh, we hadn't seen in a long time, and uh, nice dinner, French restaurant. Mm -hmm expensive by our taste and I went to pay for it only to realize I left my wallet back home and in, I, in my, my my in my wallet back home is my identity I'm still Randy. I didn't lose any of who Randy Frazee right. is at that right, restaurant right, right. and I had several credit cards a debit card you know in there that could have paid for the meal I had the mm -hmm. power to pay for it I just didn't give myself access to it because I left it at home right. in the same way basically we're saying that Jesus didn't change his being he never changed right. his identity he simply put himself in a position right. of vulnerability where he didn't give himself access to it during that little while uh -huh. that the book of hebrews talks about and as i began to, to understand that concept it began to make sense to me yeah so, you know yeah and at the same time he still is relationally connected with the father and with the spirit yeah absolutely this allows jesus to uh, this is the thing that's been so exciting for me when i said you're going to fall in love with him more because i think uh out of our desire to want to protect jesus mm -hmm. we've really not been willing to meander down this path right and uh and, and as a result we've not let jesus be as human as he really wanted to be and i think that coming to that place where i'm willing to say my goodness he really put himself in a yeah. vulnerable position for yeah. our sake and now you have scripture to say that he entered into that right. sense of empathy and weakness so he could identify with us and we've never mm -hmm. in the classical view been able to get him human enough to be able to do that but at right. the same time we wanted to protect his divinity and rightfully so so uh, this functional kenosis or mm -hmm. functional kenotic christology it really opened up for me yeah and, well i think too that for me that really puts an um gives a power to the gospel this idea that god would fully submit himself to his creation would be to, enough to the point where he he is Human powers have power over him. Yeah. Right. You have human law, human injustice, the mob rule, the yeah. all the slander and all we the accusation, him. and I mean, he fully submits to his own creation. That's right. And and suffers all the suffering. And we're going to talk about suffering in a couple of weeks, but all the hurt and all the injustice, right? And then turns it all on its head. Mm -hmm. You know. I mean, so to me, thinking of it in these terms gives it so much more. It, it feels more profound in a way, and it feels with the power of the love that would humble himself yeah. to his own creation. And that's it's astonishing. It's astonishing. I mean, all of a sudden, it's now we move from an intellectual conversation to a visceral, emotional conversation. Mm -hmm. Philippians 2, he made himself nothing. Nothing, yeah. Nothing. You, you know, he was above... Wow the angels of which we we're and he became below the angels and and he not only entered it you know in humanity but he put himself in the most vulnerable of positions as yeah. a poor carpenter sum from nazareth are you right. kidding me right. uh and so he just it just kept piling on uh, so that he would not be like you know you know uh uh elon musk you know <laughs> yeah he's a human yeah. but dang he's got a lot more money than the right. rest of us no he entered in as the poorest of the poor, so uh, that a person who is broken and downtrodden and, right. and stepped on, like Jesus entered into that space intentionally, which is super 
uh, super powerful for us to to allow him to be that human right. is pretty exciting. And on some level, he doesn't really know how it's all going to go. Right. That's exactly right. You know, he's praying in the garden, Father, if this cup can be passed, if there's any other way. Yeah. Right? And because he wouldn't be, you know, sweating great drops of blood. I mean, mm-hmm. doctors have talked about how, what kind of anxiety you have to have in order for that to occur physiologically in a person. And there's so much anxiety, so much worry, so much, dare I say, fear. Yeah, yeah. That he asks a real question of his father. Yeah. And, and now think about it. You know, after all these years we read, I'm like, ah, it's really not a real question because he's really God. He's just like playing the part. No, it's a right. real question. Would you be willing to let Jesus be that human? I mean, we're not. We're going to let him be that. We're going to let him be fully God. But would you let him be fully human? And really, are we not heretical uh, by not allowing him to be one hundred percent human as well? Because yeah. the the Council of Chalcedon says he's one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. Could it be that all these years we've been a bit heretical mm-hmm. because we tried to protect the one hundred percent divinity yeah. and did not protect the one hundred percent? Humanity, and what this does for me is, you know, even was it on the cross? He, you know, he said I could call my father, and he could say, send you know, ten thousand angels. You know, yeah. He did not say I could call ten thousand right. angels. He said I could talk to my father, mm-hmm. and my father can send ten thousand angels. And it doesn't say that his father would. Right. He just said he could. Right. And because right. it was the will of the Father for Jesus to be crucified. So you got to look at these things from a fresh perspective, yeah. and and it starts to all add up. And I think you know, for for a person who is actually hurting, a person who is actually suffering. I just had a friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago spent three years suffering through brain cancer. And mm-hmm. just yeah. in his family who is hurting, and he's got children and grandchildren and hundreds of people who love this person and so many people walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. And you think about the Savior, God in the flesh, who would set aside willingly his privilege. It's not like the father had to talk him into it, right? No, right? no, was willing. He was willing to set it aside and to genuinely, genuinely suffer without accessing his divine attribute. And I just, for, for me, it's like, it's it makes you want to love him all that much more. It's exactly the conclusion I came from. You know, I, I uh, you know, maybe it's a good time to tell kind of how I got into all of this yeah. real quick, just briefly. So I was, uh, I read, uh, wrote another Bible engagement experience called Believe, which you're familiar mm-hmm. with. You were doing the little classes on Think, Act, Be Like Jesus. Right. And uh, I was having to write a, um, uh, really an anthology of the 30 biggest ideas, and I was looking for a theology means, you know, what does the Bible say about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation? So I was going in and I was unfolding sort of this theological journey from Genesis to Revelation on what the Bible says about Jesus and about the Trinity. And um, and because what happens, it's very dangerous, as you know, to, to take one even one author mm-hmm. uh, of the Bible and develop your whole theology around. Right. You want the whole counsel of God. So I'm I'm doing this, and what I'm but I'm writing this, stringing this thing together of, with scripture text. But I got to link them together with some italicized links to tell a story. Mm-hmm. It's super hard to not let your particular persuasion, um, you know, which is acceptable diversity, is what mm-hmm. uh, this author refers to it as. It's like you know I I have a particular view on communion, which yeah. maybe we'll talk about that sometime. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's these different views of communion, and mm-hmm. and uh, but, you know, if someone else wants to hold to a different view, then that's acceptable. There's acceptable mm-hmm. diversity. And so I was really trying to make sure I was really sort of brushed up on all this, and, and, I, and I got a hold of a book uh, called The Mosaic of Christian Belief by Roger Olson. He's a mm-hmm. professor at Baylor. It's so really good, great. Good bet. And yeah. he lays out in the book, you know, here's on these big ideas. He says, here is uh, what the church is unified around. Mm-hmm. Here's where there's complete heresy, and here is where there's acceptable diversity. Right. And so read about the, you know, the cl- classical view, <laughs> read about all of the docetism and Arianism mm-hmm. and Apollinarianism and all right. of that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he came, uh, comes up and says, okay, here's a diversity within uh, Christian belief about Jesus. And he said, there's this thing called canonic Christology. I'm like, huh. And I read it. And I, I, I'm like, I even wrote in my notes here, I go, I might, this is back in, uh, uh, I might be canonic like in my belief. <laughs> I think Jesus was aware of his deity. And then, and that came back, that was in 2013. Right. 
2017, I says, maybe not. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so I was on a journey. Yeah, you're processing I was that. on a journey. And they, even when we talked about the two minds, it's like, is this Sybil? Multiple personalities, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right, right. And then, and I turned to the page and, and, and he said, um, Kanada Christology is perfectly consistent with Christian consensus Christology so long as it does not go so far as to say that the heavenly Logos, Son of God, mm. gave up his attributes of deity in order to become human. And gave up means on t- on t- on, like he gave them up and he still doesn't right. have them. You know, oh. he still doesn't have them. Uh, and so uh, this functional kenosis basically says these three omnis uh, right. he gave up and... Uh, he gave up temporarily, but mm-hmm. once he w- received his resurrected body, right. which, by the way, immediately see uh, omnipresence is coming back mm-hmm. again in this new resurrected body. Right. He's kind of walking through. He's entering through, rooms. He's entering into rooms. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's bypassing the seven-mile jog. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, the, the famous, you'll appreciate this, the famous hymn by Charles Wesley, you know, he emptied, you know, there's a line that says, he emptied himself of all but love. And I've oh, always wow. loved that uh, that particular lyric, and now it has even more. You know, the three omnis, yeah, he left behind, mm-hmm. but he emptied himself when he came to us of all but love. Wow, that's powerful. That's good stuff, right? right? Well, so then, just to be clear, how does Jesus do his miracles, right? So he uh, turns water into wine, yep. he heals mm-hmm. a leper. I mean, how, do, how does that work? Is he yeah. call, calling on the Father, or, or are they... Just in sync, or how does that how does that work? You think? and this is the the, the basic outline of uh, learning to tap into the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, he's got these 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 three steps. The one he's emptying himself of control, inviting us to empty ourselves mm-hmm. of the illusion of control. The second thing he's doing is he's aligning his life to the will of the Father. And in one of the chapters in the book, I just list them side by side mm-hmm. all the times Jesus is going to the Father. Right. I don't do anything except you know the right. Father. This is where he's teaching me. Mm-hmm. I'm not moving in the, all, all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And so he's he's he doesn't know. Right. And so he's having to discover by putting himself in this position. So the second thing is he aligns his life to the will of the Father. Once he identifies that it's the will of the Father, mm-hmm. then uh, with, because the, the, the power of God is reserved for the will of God, so therefore once he res- he, he rely- he's, he's got his life aligned to the will of the Father, he knows that the Spirit now, Trinity, mm-hmm. is all working together, is going to, in all 39 miracles, is going to pull it off. It's, it's so much so that in one occasion... Uh, the uh, religious leaders are challenging Jesus that he just uh-huh. healed a blind man, you know, who was believed to be demon possessed, and um, and they said y- you did it in the power of Beelzebub, Beelzebub which is the power right. of Satan. And Jesus said uh, that's pretty stupid right. for Satan to cast out his own. Right. Uh, you know that wouldn't be good. He says, but but if it's with the spirit. Right. By the spirit that I cast out mm-hmm. these things, you know. So then he's he's saying over and over again that it was the spirit who, right. who did it. So some would say, well, there's this other miracle where he doesn't say that. I said he doesn't have to say it every time. Right. He did, you know, when he walked on water. Well, see, he walked on water. You know mm-hmm. that. And I'm saying, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't walk on water. I'm just saying that it was uh, it was by the 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 Father and the Spirit yeah. that are working toward him. And as a result, if the Father and the Spirit wanted you to walk on water, right. you would be able to walk on water it wasn't unique to jesus right, right. and that, so the scriptures if you read them mm-hmm. he's he's throwing you clues all the yeah. time and then when it comes to our personal life he says this one at the baptism of jesus oh i was going to tell you that you know um you know we we see in the life of jesus that no miracle mm-hmm. or healing uh happens uh in the life of jesus until after the baptism Right. Which is where the Father affirms him, with the, uh, the heavens opening up, and the Holy Spirit uh, coming down on uh, on him like a dove. Mm-hmm. And John's Gospel says, comes down and remains with him. And uh, wow. I've just never saw those things yeah, before, yeah, right, yeah. man? And so, and then the very next thing we have is the temptation in the wilderness. The very next thing we have after that is the miracle of the wedding feast of Canaan. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, we, we know that the Spirit led him into mm-hmm. the wilderness. Like, come on, Jesus, don't you know you're supposed to go into the wilderness? You're God. Right. No, the Spirit led, led him, into, him the into the wilderness. So would you allow, start to see would you allow yeah. the Spirit lead him? Because if you're not willing to let the Spirit lead Jesus, you may not be willing to let the Spirit lead you because Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm going back to the Father now you are going to represent me as right. the body of Christ on earth and I'm going to send to, to you this one this comforter this counselor mm-hmm. and you shall receive 
power right. when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And so the, the message of the, uh, for, for us today is a message of power uh, and uh, that we need to, to tap into. Well, you know, it's interesting. Somebody, I, I got a pastoral call a couple, couple of weeks ago uh, from a lady who was really disturbed about something, so I called her back and said, hey, you know, can we talk about this? And she was that passage in Matthew where you're talking about where G, uh, they accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebul. Mm-hmm. And and she and right after that, we talked about what's called the unforgivable sin. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and she's like, and I feel like I've done this, and I'm wondering if I've committed the unforgivable sin, and you know, I blaspheme mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. Right. And and the thing when I'm talking with her and I'm reading that passage, and I see like all of a sudden, wait, Jesus gets his back up because they were accusing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Yeah. And Jesus, like, I don't think so. Yeah, we're not right? going there. Yeah, in other words, and, and so it's it's that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and I know, not that we have to get into the whole unforgivable sin, what does that actually mean and everything right now necessarily, but the thing that really stuck out to me about that was how that was what put Jesus over the top. Yeah, yeah. It's the work of the Spirit. He was defending the person and deity of the Holy Spirit, much like we defend the person and deity of Jesus. He, yeah. He's like, no, we're not crossing that line. You're not. A, you're not doing that. You're not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's, that's a good insight. Yeah, yeah that was, just keep, it, The more you go over it, yeah. the more the story starts to add up. And mm-hmm. I go, oh, scriptures just is the, the narrative scriptures right. is just kind of plainly. And 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 uh, I really walk a fine line with this. I uh, you know. You know, with it in terms of this functional kenosis, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's really important. But I want let let Jesus be one hundred percent God and one hundred percent. So here, here's one question. I thought this was interesting. Um, so it says that creation was created in by Jesus, and and He holds it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when He comes and He empties Himself of His divinity, uh, mm-hmm. not of His divinity, but of His omnis, of His power. Mm-hmm. Um, what's holding creation together? Yeah, and I, I think uh, you you know you you maybe even the people listening watching will will know the answer is that again the Father Son Holy Spirit there's two other persons right. within the Holy <laughs> Trinity that could say hey right. listen I you know I gotta I'm gonna go on vacation can you take over for mm-hmm. me while I'm gone the answer is the you know is that is it whenever we say Jesus is holding creation together you know uh, they are one right. and uh, the Trinity is like so tied. Tightly here right. that uh, they're, they're really all three because one, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus is, is 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 in the Father, you know, right. and um, and so the answer to that question is that it's easier to explain that for the thirty three years the Father and the Holy Spirit were holding it all together, right. and uh, they were utterly capable of doing it. So when it says that Jesus <laughs> held it together, I don't think it was necessarily saying it, in exclusion of the Father and the right. Holy Spirit that they right. weren't in on this together. Yeah. You know? Well, I think another another part of this that I thought was interesting, it's um, and you see some of this in the language of the New Testament that there is this idea of Jesus as he's he's the second Adam, right? He's he's he comes and he and he's fully human and fully God, mm-hmm. but then after the resurrection, he's he's kind of something else, yeah. Right? There's something different physically about him. There's something different spiritually about him. We're assuming that he is re- is retaining or has now retained his omnis, mm-hmm. um, and it, his he's telegraphing the future, the new, the resurrected body, yep. right? You go from a perfectly human body to now the redeemed, resurrected body, yep. and I, it's like he's modeling both of those states for us. Here's the broken humanity that feels pain and mm-hmm. sweats and hurts and yep. everything, and now here's. The new humanity, yeah. your, my promise to you one yeah, day. We're trading out that which is perishable for that which is imperishable. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus receives his resurrected body, it's very, very clear. Something dynamic has taken place. And the beauty of the hymn of Philippians chapter 2 is it, it talks about him being God at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then he gives all this up takes on the form of a servant, and he dies, but then it finishes, the hymn finishes with him being glorified, with him being resurrected, and in a state of power again, that he's mm-hmm. been given back. And it, it literally you know, basically says the Father is giving it back to him again, right. and uh, and now he's got all of his power <laughs> back again. And that's how you kind of describe uh, that experience, as well as uh, you're going to go with it. Yeah, so, um, so Hebrews chapter 2 
the author says this, uh, but do we see Jesus who is made lower than the angels for a little while? Right. I had never seen that before yeah. like mm-hmm. that. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered right. death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Yeah, that's right. And so for a little while, for a little while, like he's a little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels, you know. Uh, you know, remember, remember Psalm eight. You know, what is man that thou art mindful of him that you, you know, created right. him a little lower than the angels? Right, you know, right, right. which is still pretty cool. Uh, and you know, he was above the angels, right. created the angels, and now he's lower than for a little while. Right. Eh, Thirty-three years to be exact, uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a little while. And, and but but it says but then this is where you get this idea of functional kenosis uh-huh. versus ontological kenosis. But he says now crowned with glory and mm. honor. Right. Because he's so so because he suffered yeah, death, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you have the 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 this great passage, the very beginning of Hebrews. It's right. It says, um, "The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word." After He had provided purification, after after He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. So for a little while, He's lower than the angels. But then, after he has suffered, he's above the angels, he's right? Above the angels. He's taken his rightful place. And so, I, I guess I'm going to quote you because it's fun. Yeah, yeah. And you're sitting right here, so yeah. I can flatter you. No, know I'm here. sitting right here. Right. So, uh, Randy Frazee from His Mighty Strength, page 12, <laughs> it says this Jesus emptied himself to become fully human, but it's important to understand that Jesus didn't become any less God. As a result, that's exactly right. So, for anybody who has any question, because the the big indigestion I've heard from people is this kenotic. They think you're uh, thinking of Jesus as an ontological kenosis yep. versus the functional kenosis, and maybe they've heard that heresy somewhere along the way, and they just kind of automatically hear the word kenosis and assume something, or maybe they weren't listening as closely, yeah. and heard something they thought they heard that was really bad, right? But we just go to Colossians chapter 2, and, and verse 9, it says this. Paul writes this great in this, one of my favorite chapters in the mm-hmm. whole New Testament. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Randy's referring to in this, in this uh, that Jesus didn't become any less God yep. as a result. Full. So let it be known with clarity yeah. for all of time. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was divine. Absolutely, and uh, and you know because people are rightfully sensitive, uh, but I am uh, they're rightfully sensitive. As soon as they hear one thing, they probably stop listening because I am. Right. Oh, go back and listen to the sermons from His Mighty Strength. I am constantly saying that He's fully God, mm-hmm. and that oh now that He's back with the Father, that little while is up, and He's mm-hmm. got the omnis again. And when He comes back, He now knows when the kingdom is coming. Right. You know, all those things are functional kenosis. And so go back to that little wallet illustration, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Andrew Dolkey doesn't like it, uh, but that's <laughs> but that's the beauty of conversation. Right, you know, right. that's the beauty of of dialogue, which we've been trying to do since we began this podcast mm-hmm. on race and. Uh, uh, and marriage, you know, we're trying to uh, get our people thinking again. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say to people is you don't have to uh, embrace, uh, because the majority of people are not embracing this, although there's a resurgence in canonic Christology. Um, And and just to remind you, you know, uh, people like Roger Olson, you know, Baptist guy, is basically saying, rightfully done, canonic Canonic Christology falls well within the scope of the Council of Chalcedon, yeah. and I would not go outside of that. Right. Uh, I just don't think I'm smart enough, and I don't want to be burned at the stake, uh, right? So, <laughs> but at the same the time, someone someone to say, Randy, I, I just respectfully disagree, or I'm just not comfortable going there. I take more of the classical view, and I go, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But um, but still, fall in love with Jesus. Still mm-hmm. see what He's done for you. He's still showing you the way. Right. I'll, be it maybe not as genuine f- mm-hmm. for me as it is for you, but as long as you're picking it up and it's causing you to give up the illusion of control, aligning right. your life to the will of the Father and yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. then I'm I'm cool with the outcome. Right, and that's basically the outline of your book. That's the outline right. of the book. So let me ask you this as we sort of wrap this up. What would you say for the person out there who... This podcast might have seemed like a lot of theological, esoteric kind of abstract language, and and, and some of it is, but it's really important. Uh, There are important ideas here in the grounding of how we understand the work of Jesus. Um, But for that person who maybe is not quite as interested in all the isms, you know, we've talked about, what would you say is, if you could just give them one takeaway 
from this whole conversation that's going to be a practical encouragement to them, what would you say? Uh, I think the, the easiest thing for me to say is that if you pick up His Mighty Strength, you will see that it's encased in this personal story of mine mm-hmm. uh, where I uh, felt powerless uh, through a betrayal. And uh, the people listening may not be going through a betrayal, but it could be an illness, mm-hmm. or it could be uh, the loss of a job, or it could be, you know, you, you can't get anybody to notice you, or whatever it might be, where you just feel powerless, right? Is that Jesus is, whatever you're taking is on Jesus. Mm-hmm. His life showed you the way to access the same power that raised him from the dead. And for me, it was through this pattern in the life of Jesus Mm -hmm. that ultimately dug me out of this hole that I was in of depression, and that while this might seem like a heady discussion, and that's what this podcast is all about, we're an opportunity to speak about it, at the end of the day, it is not just dialoguing on how many angels can dance on the head of a pin of a needle, (laughs) but rather this is about our lives, and it's about anybody who feels powerless, yeah. anybody who feels like they just can't get, uh, get, can't get things moving, that Jesus is showing us the way to tap into a power that can lead us to a victorious life, and then ultimately, that if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what your story looks like today, even if you don't overcome your depression because it's more of a chronic depression that you can't overcome, you will ultimately overcome because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you from the dead, and you will receive that resurrected body, which is not the same as the one you have now. It is utterly different, just like Jesus, and that should give you the hope to see through anything in your life, and hopefully that matters. Man, and that's exactly, I think that's the message. It's one of hope. Jesus came to show us that there's more to life than muddling through. There's more to life than just tolerating your circumstances. There's actual, there's actual victory and power in walking with Him and knowing Him. And, and that's a truth that's going to grow with you for the rest of your life, this understanding that the Holy Spirit of God is within you. Yeah. And that the same power that spoke the universe into being, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives within you, lives within me. Mm-hmm. And... We're going to spend the rest of our lives figuring out how do we walk in the truth of that. And so we, our prayer is that you're encouraged by this conversation, Mm -hmm. that maybe it cleared some things up for you. Um, If you have any further questions or there are some things like we might have some big blind spot that we missed here today, feel free to comment and we would love to address that in our end of the season Q&A episode. We would love to hear about any questions you might have regarding any sort of pertinent issues. What are you facing in the real world today? What is it as we're coming out of this season currently in uh, mm-hmm. of um, COVID-19 and things are starting to open up and we've had this experience of kind of being in a timeout for a little over a year or so yeah. and trying to figure out, well, what does all that mean as a Christ follower and how do I live in this new emerging world? Because so many things seem to be shifting. We yeah. would love to hear those mm-hmm. questions from you anytime. So as always, it's a real privilege for Randy and I to get to share this time with you and we will talk to you in not too long. Bye-bye. We hope the conversation has challenged you and perhaps sparked some new ideas. If you'd like some additional notes and helpful links, visit the episode page at westsidefamily.church slash podcast. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. Our last episode of the season, we'll devote an entire show to your questions. So you can also tell us what topics you'd like to hear and discuss in the future. Thank you for joining us today and God bless you.